is uh, the podcast a little bit too long for you? Maybe you don't have the time. Maybe you don't have the patience. Love Neanderthal podcast, but can't listen to it in front of your kids because, well, I've got a potty mouth. Good news, everybody. I introduce to you now Primordial Ooze. It is a roughly 20-minute segment uh, of the podcast of uh, each week. And uh, some past ones where I just take about 20 minutes out of that episode. I clean it up. I take all out all the cuss words. So that way even my mom can listen to it. And it's about 20 minutes long. So if you just need something to listen to on your way to work, I'm hoping this is it. And I hope it maybe gets you interested in listening in to more of the uh, episodes that I have. Especially for the 20 minutes long. And don't forget to support me, if you would like, at patreon.com slash Podcast. It really means a lot. You guys really have no idea how much just a dollar a month can go towards me. And uh, I, I appreciate everybody out there listening, supporting me, liking my Instagram posts, subscribing to my channels. Thank you so much for everything you guys do. And I hope you enjoy Primordial Ooze. Primordial ooze, also sometimes referred as prebiotic broth, is the hypothetical set of conditions present on Earth around 4 to 3.7 billion years ago. It is a fundamental aspect to the heterotrophic theory of the origin of life. Toriano Porter, this dude's amazing. Uh, you guys are going to like him. I know I do. Between February 22nd, 2008 and September 28, 2009, my world was rocked. First, my best friend of nearly 23 years was gunned down in cold blood in North St. Louis. He was 33. The next year, my closest friend from high school took his own life at age 35. One day later, my son's older half-brother died at 19 from gunshot wounds. Less than four months passed before my 16-year-old son met a similar fate. Two days before my firstborn was murdered, my stepmother lost a courageous battle to breast cancer that eventually spread to her brain. Five deaths in less than two years, four of them in the same year, two violently. Two died within days of each other. That happened twice. I've often spoken the challenges. Uh, yeah, how I, old are you? I'm 48 today. <laughs> I'm 48 years 48. old. 48. And I'm blessed. And the reason why I say I'm blessed is because. A crack epidemic. Man, you know? trust me. Like that, you're trust a me. thick of it. I, trust me. When I tell you, man, it, 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 I can't even say close to home. It hit home. Yeah, it hit home. Right. Yeah, uh, it it hit home. That's that's it. It hit home. Um, mom, dad, and older brother all sold drugs. <laughs> they all sold cocaine. They all sold crack. Uh, my dad and my big brother, older brother, by two years, they both went to the penitentiary for selling crack. Mom and dad used that, man. You know what I mean? Like my senior year of high school, I'm coming home. They didn't kicked in the house because my mom's selling it. So how much are crack. they selling? We got kicked in, bro. But what, I don't even know what that means. I don't know if they're kicking you in my, for an ounce. Well, well, I mean, an ounce I, is a I, lot of and an ounce is a lot of coke. I'll tell but. you this. I'll tell you this. My big brother did go to jail for thirteen years for an ounce of crack, but my mom was a drug kingpin, oh queen pen, as I would say. I'm not making this up. That's I, what, I'm not saying that, you would. That's, be. What, <laughs> that's what the local newspaper called it. She's on the front page of the news when they kicked our house in. But you know, this is what I grew up in. So when you grow up in these type of environments, uh, certain things come with that. Uh, including uh, mm, 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 grit and toughness. Mm -hmm. So I was able to learn grit and toughness from my mom, my dad, my brother, just being a hustler and being able to take care of myself and my family. 
I've always wanted to uh, flip that to do something positive. That's why my book, The Five People You Meet in the Hood Before You Get to Heaven, uh, I wanted to turn the premise of hood on its head and make it a special place, a, a community. And I, I did grow up in a community, you know. You did a good job of doing that. You you didn't shy away from any of the, like the, the bad stuff, you know, quote-unquote bad stuff, but mm-hmm. you did highlight that, like, this is home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is like this is a community. Like mm-hmm. this is best friends. Like mm-hmm. I make connections. Like I love this person. I don't care. Like we're, yeah, I don't if we're doing this kind of drug and that kind of drug, whatever. Don't don't. This is just what we do. This is real life. Yeah, yeah, man. I was so fortunate that my older brother and my best friend, they were kind of like, you know, my dad was gone. He was in the penitentiary, so I didn't really have you know a father figure. And so my older brother, by just two years, and my best friend, who was who was actually six months younger than I. They were both what I would consider protectors. Mm-hmm. They were always like, hey, man, you have something going on, even at 15, 16 years old. Like, you're going to do something with yourself, man. Um, this is not for you. So I was fortunate that I had that. But as you know, I'm a reporter. So I've always been an observer and a storyteller. So it was only natural for me to write about what I witnessed. And and don't get me wrong, I'm not innocent in none of these things. I've participated in my fair share of things, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, my hands are dirty <laughs> in, in a way, you know, never did anything. Not too dirty. Not, right, I was going to say, dirty. I was going to say, never did anything that was going to send me to the joint, you know. But, you know, when you live in this environment and you're trying to survive, um, you do what you got to do. And my hands got dirty a little bit, but not too much. I, I just had enough wherewithal to know that I wanted to do something better with myself. And it, and then where I come from, I, I've seen it all too well. You end up dead or in jail or you end up hooked on um, um, substance. So I never wanted any part of that life. How did you get into writing? Was there a book? Was there like a book that you just fell in love with or a writer or a poem or a person, I, I don't know how does how do you get into writing? There's a you pip- know? yeah. I Writing's remember. Writing's a it's it's a different kind of art form. Yeah. It's not so. I mean, everybody can write, quote unquote. We can we've all written. We all know our alphabet and put them together on paper. Well, but we all don't do it for a living. Yeah, well, like, right. Uh, people I know hate writing. So yeah. So um, I was twelve. I was all I I I was I, I'm gonna say I was always an avid reader, right? And so any great writer will tell you to become a better writer you have to become a better reader like anyone to tell you that i mean it makes sense yeah so i started off <clears throat> excuse me i started off as a reader avid reader first my mom um got me a library card when i was not library card when i was nine best thing one of the best things she's ever did to me in my life man i've been going i still have one to this day i've been going to the public library since i was nine it's a library. great resource, man. You know, and so I got I be, some overdue books right now. You feel me? <laughs> I think I still owe St. Louis Public Library from when I was nine. I had three or four books I never took back. But uh, you know, karma is karma, man. So my books were down there in a the public library in St. Louis. I had ten at one point. Now I'm down to three. Someone literally took the Pride of Park Avenue out of the public library in St. Louis and never brought it back. <laughs> That's karma because I know I done it twice when I was a kid. <laughs> I would look at it as like, dude, this dude liked this book so much. Yeah. They had to keep it. They had to keep it. And so, you know, you grow up reading. And so at the age of 12, uh, I was in seventh grade at a predominantly white middle school. In case your uh, readers, uh, listeners, listeners don't know, um, I'm an African-American man. <laughs> and so I went to elementary High school and um, elementary, junior high, and high school at a predominantly white uh, high, uh, place in Eureka, Missouri, right? It's rural Missouri. 
Wow. Yeah, I was bussed out there, man. Um, part wow. of the voluntary desegregation program. So I'm bussed from South St. Louis, 27 miles away from my home. You know, talk most, about what, what do they yeah. call what do they call that? Just not schizophrenia, but I mean, you're, ter- you're completely, culture shock. <laughs> yeah, how about that? I mean, but you just shock? you're going from one like being one person, and I don't know. I don't know if you're trying to be another person, where, but that's oh, like, oh, oh, you know, one thing I always prided myself on was staying consistent and solid. I never did the code switching thing. Uh, I just never did it. Okay, I, good. I, I, even as the eleven year old sixth grader, nice. I stood in my blackness. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I knew where I was at. I knew where I knew. You know, even at that age, I knew that you had to kind of assimilate, and so I did. I did, and I followed the rules. Mm-hmm. I, I did get suspended a couple of times my time out there, but I, it was warranted both times. You know, uh, sixth grade and ninth grade, it was all me. I okay. put my hands on somebody. You you gotta go home for it a couple happens, of days. Yeah. It happens, right? But um, so I was a sp- I experienced a lot, man. You know, just dealing with it. But I always said I'm gonna stay solid with who I am as a person. So I never switched up my voice. I never switched up who I was. Now I can navigate different on on both sides. <clears throat> on both sides. Yeah, yeah. I can navigate different areas right. in my life, man. But I just never wanted to switch up. I always just wanted to stay solid. So people that know me from the time I was 11 that know me at 48, they they can tell you I'm consistent and I'm solid. I never switched up. I always stayed true to who I was. And who I am is just a black man in America just trying to. You go back to the hood and you're like, hey, guys, would you guys like to go kayaking? (laughs) (laughs) And listen, it's funny now, man, because I did grow up in a rough scramble environment, but I'm an urban yuppie now and I'm proud of it. You know what I'm saying? I drink coffee and bourbon. uh, I I don't go kayaking because I'm scared of water, but, you know. I would, you know. So <laughs> I ride bikes, you know what I'm saying? Like, go to the hood, they look at you crazy, man. No, but, no, man, just just growing up, man, I, I had all that. So this is how I got into writing. So I'm in this predominantly white space in the seventh grade, and we played a game in social studies called Current Events, right? Uh, the teacher would put us in, like, these teams of five. We had buzzers and everything. I love that. Everybody. I yeah. loved when you see Of course, yeah. it was on a Friday. Yeah, so I'm, I'm about it, right? Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm a competitor. You know, I want I want to win at everything. I'm not even smart. I'm trying to compete at yeah. trivia. Real bang, bang. <laughs> so so the teacher is reading these questions, man. I don't know that I'm like, and I didn't like that feeling. I did not like that feeling. I felt like a dunce. Uh-huh. Again, you got to understand, I'm a young black boy mm-hmm. from South St. Louis. And I mean, it's predominantly white institution and I'm like I don't like how I feel right now and so um, I didn't get any other I didn't know any other answers the one question I tried to get right I missed and so after oh it was, and that makes it even worse makes it even worse so after it was over you I went up hot, to the teacher sweaty get the pits all of that yeah. all of that I'm feeling real slow yeah. man like <laughs> if if it was a cartoon I would have that big hat on you feel me <laughs> uh, and so I'm feeling real slow and I, and I went up to the teacher man and again I've always been an advocate of myself like I'm my biggest advocate. I'm gonna speak up for myself. And I said, Mr. Sharp was his name. Mr. Sharp, man, this stuff is not in my homework. It's not in my notes, not in my book. How am I, how am I supposed to know this stuff, man? He's like, son, the name of the game is called Current Events. Go home, watch the news, read the newspaper. <laughs> man, I've been doing that every day since I was 11, or 12 years old. Okay. 30, what, 30, 20, 37 straight years now. I was 12 when he told me that. So the next week spent, when I you can tell he spent all his time on current events and not math. You feel me? You feel me? <laughs> I came back um that next week and I was like, Rain man, 
I knew everything. <laughs> I answered all that. I broke the record for scoring that game and in that season. I was killing it, man. I, you know, this is before yeah. uh, this is before pot. And this was before concussions because I was a college football player. This was before all of that. I still could retain things yeah. now, you know. Sharp now, now it's like. Ugh. This is this touch and go now, but yeah. back then everything I read I could retain. So I was just bang, 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 and you know, being a competitor, people was looking at me like, like for real, like I was Rain Man. It was it was wild, man. <laughs> and so from that point on, I just I've read every single day. And as you start reading, you get older, you start. Picking it was current up. events that got you hooked. Current events. That's funny. Yeah, and so it, it wasn't a book. It wasn't no, an author. It was just no, like it was current events. Where were you getting your current events in the in the St. 90s? Louis St. Louis Post Dispatch. The newspaper, the daily newspaper. So that's listen what, up, kids. You, that's a newspaper. You guys don't have those anymore, right? Probably, you know, but this right. is not going print. to Yahoo.com no. or Google.com. No, this is your local paper, black and, and white newspaper. Print, man. Getting it on your it hands. It was beautiful, man. It was beautiful. And so growing up, when I hit college at eighteen, I knew what I wanted to do. I majored in journalism, and I minored in creative writing. I wanted to be a newspaper reporter and write a book. <laughs> now I'm doing Ooh, it every it. day, man. It's it's beautiful. You called it. it I called you it. You put it out there. I called it and I chased it, and it, 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 it's happening. So I'm walking in my dream. That's why I tell you, I'm blessed. I can't complain about nothing. My life ain't perfect. I'm gonna be real serious with you. I was in Omaha to speak at a funeral of a gentleman who I did not even know. Oh wow! I didn't even know this man. His brand new wife messaged me on LinkedIn and said, I am looking for someone to speak at my husband's funeral. Um, he committed suicide, and I came across your name. And I wanted to get a professional speaker and not just somebody off the street. That's never happened to me a day in my life, man. Someone asked me to come speak at a funeral. I didn't even speak at my own son's funeral. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, and I, I didn't know what it was. Like, sign from God, maybe. <laughs> it's funny because when I got the message, I was in the church. First time been inside a church since COVID shut everything down. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, well, maybe this guy talking to me, right? And so I reached out to the lady, and it's true. Her husband uh, took his own life. She wanted me to come give some words, and I'm like, I don't know what to say to these people. I don't even know these people. And But one of the first things I told him was, I'm not a grief expert, and I'm not a, uh, a grief counselor. I don't know why I'm here. God sent me. And so that's where I'm at, man. I don't, I don't want that, but if that's what God wants for me to be a beacon of light for anybody that's suffered tremendous loss, then that's what I'm going to be. Nelly threw a matter of fact it wasn't even Nelly. They had the uh Do you red, know Nelly? Yeah. They not like I can't pick up the phone and call the dude, but we played a little ball together back in the day. Amateur baseball coming up. That's right. That was my shortstop. That was my guy. I was the center fielder, he was my shortstop. We made history together. We were on the first African American team to ever play in the St. Louis Amateur Baseball Association League. That's the uh high school that's the top notch high school league in the summer. We we had an African American team in it. Oh, an African American team. Team, yeah. We were the was first. Was it designed to be that, or it just yeah. happened to be? No, that? it does. It was designed to be that. Our sponsor was University City. Uh, it was called Squad One Sports. So you guys were probably the best team because you wouldn't let white people on your team. We were three and twenty-three, sir. Really? What happened? White kids know how to play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure? What, it was, I, what happened? Are you sure white kids wasn't Cubans? No, it was <laughs> straight. These dudes was ball players really? from Ellisville and and freaking Baldwin and Manchester. Man, they okay. We we were good athletes, but when it came to baseball and, okay. and that league, 
these I'm telling you, these are the, these were the, some of those dudes that played in that league ended up in the major league. I will tell you, I quit baseball. I was I thought I was good at baseball. Mm, they started throwing that curveball at you, and then I started playing against Canadians. I lived in Michigan, okay, and these Canadian teams came down. <laughs> they showed you. Huh? I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I I got struck out looking. I was like, what? Wait, what? I, uh, nobody throws that fast here. What? I, I was like, I'm done. So, and then the week before practicing, I got hit in the wrist on a cold day, and that, and then the seal, the Canadians sealed it for me. Yeah. I'm done. That's funny you said that because I have a similar story. I was I was at a JUCO plan. These JUCO dudes are draft eligible, right? Yeah, like they can get drafted. I played JUCO soccer. Uh, dope, dope. People sleep on community uh, yeah, colleges, they do. but listen, they do. That's that's where the idiot, the really good people who who are dumb go. Exactly. I'm standing in there. You know, I've hit over three, four hundred my whole life because you know it's, it's, but it's little league, it's high school. They not the ball's not dancing like it's going to dance at the right. college or pro level, right, right? Right. There's no movement. No, and so I can hit a straight ball. Yeah, I just have enough hand eye coordination, enough quickness, I can hit a straight ball. Yeah, but dude, I'm in the JUCO. I'm about 21. I have no discipline, none. I drink. I smoke pot. I'm chasing skirts. Yeah. Uh, I got a child. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But uh, I don't go to class. Like I have. I'm not disciplined. At all. I'm partying. With I, I'm partying. I'm not working out or nothing. Right. But I'm I'm playing high level college baseball. JUCO team that I played on was sixth in the nation. No matter. We're playing this team, and I'm standing up there, and this dude throws the ball at my head. Right. So I. But it cut, didn't it? It cut. <laughs> and the ump goes straight. At that moment, I was done. At that moment, I said, I can't hit that. I can't do I'm that. I'm out of here. I'm done. I, I was done. Yeah. I, I didn't finish the season. People, <laughs> I was done, <laughs> sir. I walked away. I walked away. So, you know, at JUCO, uh, you go to school in the second semester. The season starts like February or March. I made it to like April. Yeah. I played, I played a lot of games, but I didn't finish the season. I was done. I couldn't hit the curveball. My batting average was like 220. I was like, I ain't never suffered like we this. We can work with you. That's what they – I had a scout tell me that. We can work with you on 220. Uh, I had a scout tell me that. I was like, man, you know what? You know what we got to do? What? We got to throw a few curveballs and hit you with them. And <laughs> you just got to get used to it and not be afraid. And once you see it breaking, then you're going to know. I was done. So let me get back to my Chris Rock story. So anyway. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, no, what? it's good. It's good because uh, it all it's all relative. So Nelly threw this party in St. Louis. It, Nelly didn't throw it. The movie had their premiere. I yelled at a ref uh, two weeks ago. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I'm not that guy. It's my son is eight years old. He's playing eight year old co-ed soccer. They're not really keeping score. No one gives a. And here you go. And I'm and the whole season. I don't say forever. And because I'm a I'm a soccer. That's my my sport, soccer. But I don't I don't coach or nothing. No. I'm I'm going to get too heavily invested. Yes. So I'm just I'm I'm, I'm yes. backing away. Let them have fun. Yes. I'm watching the game. And this ref calls offsides mm. from the other side mm. of the field. And I was like, in my head, how did this guy see that? No, can <laughs> I? But whatever. Whatever. Go on. You keeping your cool at this I'm point. I'm keeping my cool. But th this ref does not like our coach or our team. He gave our – it doesn't matter. Yeah. And then so f 10 minutes later, we we get in same area where the offsides was. But now our the ref is right in there. We get a kick. And the other team grabs it, grabs it, jumps it with their hands, <laughs> puts it down. And this is a handball. This is an automatically open penalty kick uh -huh, where you're going to get a uh -huh, goal. Uh -huh. No nothing, call. Nothing, no call. Nothing. I go, are you kidding me? I go, you saw the offsides from way yeah, down there, yeah, but you didn't see that blatant yeah, handball? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. he looked at me and yeah. like, 
about to give yeah. me a, a yellow card and to go like, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> man, it Heck, I almost apologized yeah. to him afterwards. Yeah, uh, but I didn't. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens. And as a devil, but the whole time I'm thinking, I'm like, bro, why did you do that? That was so stupid. So you 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 caught yourself, and I'm glad you did because I was going to offer you a special discount into my parenting um class okay. for youth sports. Okay, I'm working on sportsmanship. Okay, it's called without refs, it's just a scrimmage. Yeah, for parents like you, yeah, don't yeah. be a jerk not to the like refs. Me, like, yeah, they, they get thirty I, bucks. Okay, you get what you pay for. I thought that. I thought that too. I, I was like, but this is just some kid. He doesn't need. It's some like seventeen year old. Yeah. He's a high school yeah. soccer player. He doesn't need me young. Yeah. I'm an eight year old. Yeah. But I was like, but I just. But I again backstory. He did. He kicked our coach out two weeks ago. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he doesn't call it fair on our team. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And to be fair, this is something I've noticed. In my own head, I like to analyze a lot of things in my uh-huh. head and town. It doesn't uh-huh. mean it's true, but it's what I do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. For a long time, I think black teams, uh, not black people, black uniform teams <laughs> are always the best. <laughs> yeah. They're always better. And our, that's team why, is, that's and our why, team's the black team. That's why teams were all black. And I'm and and, they're, and I've oh I've noticed we're a little bit better, and we always get call, the refs call our games. You a guys are a little bit, bit more aggressive. I don't even know about nah. that, but we get called like we are. You're renegades. <laughs> Listen, but it's like, but I've always noticed. I'm like, why? Why are like like black uniform teams just? They just always seem better. Man, you know, we can talk about this forever because this is another thing that I I have to leave here to yeah. go do my youth basketball officiating. Okay. So I, I ref youth sports. I've been doing it for a long time. This is why when you say eight or nine years old.